it's reviving ancient wisdom by recognizing. So one example of, of the 12 uh, you know, core strategies of, of functional herbal therapy is matching the energetics. Mm. If you look at traditional systems like Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, and even you know, the traditional Galenical system yep. of medicine, they're all talking about whether a remedy was hot or cold, whether a patient's condition was hot or cold. So, so a key aspect is acknowledging that energetics does come into the equation core strategy which we're going to touch on later more detail is supporting the tissue and that very much comes back to traditional concept of uh, western herbal medicine but i i think it's above all it's it's using herbs for their functional characteristics mm. rather than just as green drugs welcome to the mediherb podcast where we discuss all things related to herbal medicine, nutrition and lifestyle practices. From ancient wisdom to the latest in scientific research, join us for conversations with leading experts, practitioners and pioneers in the field of natural healthcare. Hi, I'm Jaisal. I'm a naturopath and the Practitioner Education Manager at Integria Healthcare. Today, I'm going to be talking to Professor Kerry Bourne. Kerry is the co-founder and innovation driver at MediHerb, where he serves as Director of Research and Development. A practicing herbalist and naturopath, Kerry regularly lectures in Australia and overseas and is a prolific author with seven published herbal medicine texts and over 40 scientific papers on herbal research, including original research and systematic reviews. As recognition for his roles, in 2016, MediHerb was awarded the American Botanical Council's Varro E. Tyler Award for Excellence in Phytomedicinal Research. In 2015, Carey's lifelong contribution to the field of herbal therapy was recognized with his receiving the prestigious Lady Salento Award from the Complementary Medicine Industry in Australia. Kerry still maintains a busy herbal and naturopathic practice in Toowoomba, Queensland, where he has been in continuous service for 38 years. I hope you enjoy our discussion. Well, it's lovely to have you here in the studio today, Kerry. So welcome to the MediHub podcast. Thank you, Jaisal. And it's uh, great to be here, particularly in this wonderful new studio. Yes. Um, we're hoping to do some really good education from here. But today, really, I wanted to talk to you about the concept um, of what functional herbal therapy is. You've written mm. a book on it. Mm. And for those who may not be aware of what functional herbal therapy is, can you take us through the basic concepts, please? Well, it, it has three core concepts. The first, of course, is that it incorporates all those defining characteristics of functional medicine, but applies these to the unique properties of medicinal plants. So what I've observed looking at functional medicine, how it's educated, how it's practiced, is very nutrient-focused. And in a sense, if we're talking about a function of the body and improving how the body functions, it's herbs, to me, that can yes. lead the way in that regard. So it's about viewing the herbs in the context of functional medicine, but particularly herbs don't have the same properties as drugs. They don't have the same properties mm. of nutrients. So really harnessing and exploiting yeah. those unique properties. But we can't do something like that without also 
embracing the concept that contemporary Western practice of herbal medicine mm. should also draw heavily on its traditional roots mm. and acknowledge that, in fact, some of the key prescribing systems of the 19th century mm. were essentially yeah. an early form yeah. of functional medicine. Mm. And then the final aspect, which is also uh, uh, incorporated in functional medicine, but the final aspect of functional herbal therapy is is diet as a therapy. Mm. Not not just eat a healthy diet yeah. or don't eat that food because it disagrees with you or you're allergic yeah. to you, but you're actually using diet via phytonutrients right. as a positive aspect of the therapy. Yeah, the phytochemicals, not just the macro and micronutrients of food. Yeah, exactly, mm. exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you're exploiting, uh, you know, for example, the anthocyanins yeah. that are in berries, the nitrate that is in beetroot, that's all part of my microcirculation yes. protocol, for example. Yeah. <clears throat> Definitely. And and that's ancient knowledge again, isn't it? You know, there's well, been well, civilizations uh, that have used chocolate, for example, or cocoa for mood and yes it's quite extraordinary when i say to my patients now i want you to get the 85 percent or 90 percent chocolate and have this much a day and they say what you're recommending <laughs> me to eat chocolate yeah. and and i point out to them that before chocolate if you like uh, d did a tangential move yeah. and became a confectionery yeah. it was actually a highly prized medicinal herb in fact so highly prized by the i believe it was the incas mm. that they actually pressed chocolate into hard blocks and used it as currency oh, so wow. the things that are valuable mm. were used as currency mm. it, it wasn't of course anywhere yeah. near gold but it was like more like your pennies yeah, yeah. but it was used as currency that's fantastic and i mm. also know um just on the topic of chocolate that yeah. that raw cacao in its you know, it has to be fermented. So it's actually a fermented food as well. Which well, is well, it is. You know, I, a lot of people like cacao, but personally I'm a cocoa fan. Yeah. I believe why not have the fun as well? <laughs> well, um, what really led you then to develop this functional herbal therapy? It happened organically. It happened serendipitously. It wasn't planned. But, uh, you know, I've been in practice now. It's getting on to 40 years. Wow. And probably around a decade ago, I felt, oh, I'm, I'm actually working. I'm actually applying a system here mm. now. Mm -hmm. And it was a system that was based on experience with patients. So, for example, I developed the Balflora protocol based mm. on the teachings of Heinz Zalström, my original mm. herbal teacher. And... Uh, and so that led me to the concept of treatment via treatment modules, yeah. protocols that can be applied as treatment modules. And I was also using a pulse dosing with patients, and mm. that led me to, well, maybe we can take that as a systematic concept mm. to apply in practice. But above all, I realised that when a patient came in, I was assessing them for a range of therapeutic targets or mm. therapeutic strategies perhaps better term mm. and and that I was actually applying this system so I had to give it a name mm. and uh, in recognition that uh, one school of 19th century herbalists yeah. uh, the physiomedicalists were very functional in their approach mm. and 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 they based therapy on the concept 
of the knowledge of physiology, mm. not pathology, mm. hence physiology, hence supporting the way the body functions rather than interfering and blocking how it functions to stop a pathology. Mm. I wanted to call it, you know, modern physiomedicalism yeah. or something like that. And and fortunately, my colleagues had the, had the wisdom to say, no, that's not really going to actually do much for yeah. marketing as a concept <laughs> so uh and and it was amanda williams who actually mm. suggested that we use the term Fun. i use the term functional yeah and so that's how it came up yeah. so and it is it is really does combine and incorporate mm. all the principles of functional medicine so it's an accurate term mm. and i like the idea that you're bringing things back into balance you're not pushing against something you're bringing back yes you're working with the body not against it yeah absolutely that's wonderful so how do you think this functional herbal medicine that you have developed from what you say you know existed in terms of the physiomedicalism and and bringing the body back into balance. And my clinical experience. And your clinical so it, it, experience. Primarily it was my clinical, clinical experience. Clinical experience and yeah. watching how certain protocols worked. Yes. Um, you know, at bringing back that homeostatic balance and working with the body. How do you think that's reviving ancient wisdom that has been lost really in the Western? Well, I've kind of already alluded to yeah. that via the physiomedicalists and what have you. But, but essentially it's reviving a- ancient wisdom by recognizing it. Mm. So one example of of the twelve uh, you know core strategies of of functional herbal therapy is matching the energetics, mm. and I'll probably talk a little bit more about that later. But obviously, if you look at traditional systems like Ayurveda, yeah. Chinese medicine, and even you know the traditional Galenical system yeah. of medicine, they're all talking about whether a remedy was hot or cold, mm. and whether a patient's condition was hot or cold. So so. So a key aspect is acknowledging that energetics does come into the equation. Now, I will confess that I'm not, I'm not, uh, how shall I say, as well informed in that regard as as I probably like to be. Mm. But nonetheless, there are a few simple rules that I apply that take those energetic considerations into account. Mm. Um, I think also another core strategy which we're going to touch on later more detail is supporting the tissue and that Mm. very much comes back to traditional concept of of uh, western herbal medicine but i i think it's above all it's it's using herbs for their functional characteristics Mm. rather than just as green drugs yeah and that actually brings me to the next question i had in mind that you know you um talk about the qualities of the herbs, the mm. energetics mm. matching, uh, you know, the hot and cold. And mm. that's something that was used in all, all sorts of um, ancient medicinal systems, including in the West. Yes. Um, but at the moment, do you think there's a bit of a move towards falling into this trap of using medicinal plants as green drugs? Well, you can certainly do that. And if I look at the system, you see, you look at Germany, uh, medicinal plants are widely prescribed by medical doctors mm. in Germany. And, and if you look at some of their textbooks, certainly reading from their textbooks that they've published, it is very much along the lines of green drugs. So, so this herb has these properties and you use it instead of that mm. drug and here's the evidence. And I think the big trap there in using herbs as green drugs 
comes from actually something that I think as, as a strength and a really positive development of herbal therapy, and that is clinical research, mm. clinical trial research. So when you do a clinical trial, you fix a number of parameters, you do it in a limited context with a limited cohort of, of patients, and you get an outcome that may or may not be significant. And so you can just take that evidence on face value yeah. and prescribe the herbs as green drugs. And I think that's the trap that you can fall into. And it's also the trap that some people in developing a negative attitude towards science in mm. herbal medicine can fall into as well because they say, oh, look, all of that research is just turning herbs into green drugs. Yeah. But it's not if you go the next step. And the next step is to look behind mm. what that clinical research is yeah. telling you in terms of the properties of that herb and its functionality mm. in the body. And that's what I do and that's what functional herbal therapy does. Right. So you're looking more at that uh, functionality. And in a sense, if you look at your therapeutic targets, your 12 core strategies... Um, the analogy I use is if that if I'm firing arrows at a target, I want those arrows to be sharp so yeah. they stick on that target. Mm. And that clinical evidence tells you which of those arrows are sharp and mm. which of those herbs have that functionality mm. in a proven clinical way that mm. you need. Mm -hmm. So to me, the clinical trial research is a strength of modern herbal medicine. It's not a degradation mm. provided mm. that you apply that knowledge in a functional way towards your patients. And that's what functional herbal therapy is espousing. Right. And, and, and as naturopaths and herbalists, mm. you know, we don't just prescribe the one herb for the you know one person in any case yes. which sort of really takes me to the concept you talk about in your book of mosaic diseases and having these complex interventions yes so um yes could you so take us so through? i think we have at the moment we have a blind spot in mm. modern medicine and that is that they're still very hung up on the single intervention mm. for a single disease mm. And I, I see that, if you like, that flaw being exposed in a big, big way when it comes to long COVID because mm -hmm. everyone's talking about long COVID and what you do for it, but they're not going to develop a drug for right. long COVID because yeah. it's a multifactor. It's a very complex issue. It's multifactorial. Mm -hmm. In reality, it's only something like functional herbal therapy mm -hmm. that can truly help and resolve mm -hmm. long COVID, in my view. Yeah. Um, the one sharp arrow is not going to... The one sharp arrow is not, not going, going to, to cut it when yeah. you've got 25 targets. Yeah. Indeed. So a single herb by its nature is mm -hmm. multifunctional. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, a person might say, oh, that's just a biased herbalist ranting. <laughs> but we have evidence for that now yeah. because if you look at the clinical trials, clinical data mm. on, for example, one herb like ginkgo biloba, mm. we find it has a multitude of properties. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's good for peripheral circulation, it's good for cerebral circulation, microcirculation, it boosts mitochondrial function. These have all been shown clinically. It yeah. helps mood, it helps the HPA axis, it's kind of an adaptogen. Mm. And, uh, and, and obviously it's got good for Alzheimer disease and cognition. So have a look at principles and practice of phytotherapy mm. and the monograph on ginkgo biloba yeah. in that, which is already now 
you know, yeah. uh, almost a decade old, mm. and you'll find a multitude of proven clinical effects mm. from the one herb. So individual herb is by definition multitasking. Yeah. And then you combine that, With but that. you don't do it in a random way. You do it in a cohesive way, yeah. which is what the functional herbal therapy approach is, yeah. is teaching. So in, in a way, the, the green drug, you know, the whole um, doing that research on ginkgo is what's actually given us ginkgo to use it's enriching our knowledge yes that's what i'm saying it's not limiting our knowledge it's not debasing the therapy used in the right way that information is actually enriching our knowledge exactly and then yeah it's not just you know a herb is not just a one constituent it's a multitude of constituents so when you do apply your functional herbal therapy in clinic um where do you start do you start with um for example, I know you talk about the three P's of causation. So that yeah. could be causation of what's happening yeah. in so the So that's person. your starting point because yeah. fundamental to understanding a, a, a particular patient's problems is understanding what's causing it, what's driving it. So the, the three P's of ca- causation are, are precipitating factors. Oh, sorry, predisposing precipitating so predisposing what is leading creating the soil Mm. for for the disease to develop and then precipitating what are the actual events that trigger Mm. the disease to becoming symptomatic and then the third aspect is the perpetuating what's keeping this going as a chronic disease Mm. because uh, you can use functional herbal therapy for all acute or chronic diseases, but but the practical reality yeah. is we're dealing with chronic disease, chronic disease yeah. in this regard. Mm. Um, so you do need to understand causes. That's completely consistent with functional medicine mm. because you need to understand the drivers of the disease. So we can... We can use, uh, you know, we have abundant now anti-inflammatory strategies with herbs and they're valuable to use because it's the third P, the perpetuating, mm. often inflammation is perpetuating the yeah. disease, so you do need to bring it down. So it's valid to use, but not at the expense of looking at the predisposing Those and things. precipitating and other key factors that mm. are perpetuating. So you need to get behind and, and treat the cause. And that can be a challenge when you've got a patient who needs symptom relief mm. right away, but you want to get to the causes as well. And that's where I developed the things like the OST rule yeah. and the treatment modules yeah. to help you unfold that over time. So so we have to make the patient aware that this is not, uh, you know, come back in three weeks and you're yeah. better sort of thing. It's a, it's a, it's a long-term mm. strategy, six months, often two-year strategy mm. and and work accordingly yeah and when you talked about the predisposing and perpetuating Mm. and then of course you know I was going to say so when you have so many things to sort of have to deal with um, how do you prioritize so that I think brings in what you were referring to your OSD rule yes yes so so um, how do you apply that absolutely Uh, so if we look at the OST rule the first thing is employ the multi-tasking aspects mm. of the herbs mm. so so you can overlap therapeutic activity yeah. so if, for example if the patient has poor cognition is anxious and and you know gets ray nose disease well ginkgo will mm. probably take care of all all, all of three those. Yeah. So, so that's one example yeah um and then uh, secondly 
uh, so that's the O, overlap, mm. and then S, uh, sequence treatments. So, so I've kind of already alluded to that mm. in that you have modules and, and uh, you can apply one module and see how the patient fares with that. Mm. And uh, if you get a good benefit, maybe you apply it again. But mm. if it doesn't seem to alter the disease course much, mm. you go to a different Mm. treatment module and that might be microcirculation bowel flora protocol stealth pathogen and so on i outline all these key modules Mm. in the book Mm. yeah it's almost like um the naturopathic principle of treat the gut so you know if if um you need to bring in the dysbiosis Mm. treat the dysbiosis using your bowel flora absolutely so what we've realized is that our gut flora is just instrumental in in uh, maintaining health but mm. also in driving disease mm. uh, and just about any disease now they're implicating well gut flora or other flora mm, in the know, body because yeah. we realize most tissues in the body now have a flora yeah yeah um, uh, and the final one yeah the final the t yes. in ost is triage so set the priorities make the judgment of what the patient needs sooner mm rather than later yeah and you don't always get it right but use your clinical judgment use Mm. your experience to say i think i'm going to work on this patient's gut flora Mm. first Mm. for example yeah yeah so have have a um you know destination in mind but be prepared to take little segues if you absolutely yeah yeah and um, also, I, I know this from before um, coming to, you know, work with MediHub um, as a student and as a practitioner, um, you always talked about supporting the tissue or the mm. organ. So, for mm. example, if I was treating someone um, who had uh, you needed support with, say, you know, um, good gallbladder function or just needed to... Um, treat for food allergies it was also about supporting the liver for example yes so that's your um you know use of trophor restoratives yeah so that's one of the core strategies Mm. one of the 12 core strategies oh well sorry it's uh, no it's not it's it's additional to the Mm. 12 core strategies i could have made it a core strategy but then it would have been 13 and that's (laughs) an unlucky number so i I put it as a central concept and i think it deserves to be a central concept it makes sense yeah Mm. and so well let me say this first, and that is that if you look at functional medicine, how it's applied, particularly with the nutritional strategies, I think what's missing is this unique capacity of herbs and this understanding of the unique capacity of herbs to support tissues. Mm. So if, if, a, if a particular tissue or a particular organ is not functioning mm. as well as it should... Yeah then um, you can try and stimulate the function of that herb or Mm. tissue. But it might have structural or damage issues Mm. or or ongoing impairments. That means that that stimulation of that function doesn't quite work Mm. as well as it should. So we come back to this concept, well, as well as stimulating function or maybe even before you stimulate the function, you support the tissue. And this was... Uh, as you say, this was a feature of herbal medicine that was highlighted to me in my herbal, tra- my highlighted to me in my early herbal training. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, here I am, in 1981, you know, freezing in the UK, <laughs> <laughs> studying herbal medicine, and uh, 
And Heinz Elstra would often mm. refer to a plant being trophorestorative. Mm. So as it sounds, trofo structure, restoration, so restoring the tissue. Yeah. So it was a very, very early concept for me, this mm. trophorestorative concept that I now refer to as support mm. the tissue. And the only it's such a strong strategy such a powerful strategy the only weakness is we don't yet know enough mm. about how you support certain tissues mm. so we know for example support the heart so any of my patients who've had a heart attack yeah uh, any of my patients who might be at risk of a heart attack i give them a combination of hawthorn leaves and berries mm. arjuna mm. and as long as they're not on blood thinners danshen yeah the three key support the heart tissue herbs mm. from each of the major mm. traditions. traditions yeah. And it's so strong and so powerful. And, and often I get feedback about how that alone yes. has such a dramatic clinical benefit mm. with these patients. So let me explain. It's not to prevent the next heart attack. Yeah. It's not to lower their cholesterol mm. or their blood pressure. It's just purely to support the tissue that's mm. being challenged, which in this case is the heart. Yeah. And then, of course, we have the St. Mary's or milk thistle For that the supports liver. the liver. Mm. Schisandra, mm. too, I think, mm. is also. Mm. So for some tissues, we're well endowed. You mm. know, saw palmetto and nettle root mm. support the prostate. Mm. But for other tissues, lung, yeah. not so much. Mm. And kidney. Kidney, I take an indirect approach, which yeah. is described in the book, and, mm. and I have had success in supporting kidney tissue, mm. but, but you, you're using the functionality of a number of herbs to take an indirect approach to support mm. that tissue. There's no one herb yeah. that we can say is truly has a strong evidence base that it supports the kidney tissue. Mm. Yeah, so by basically helping the cells that make up that particular organ and mm. organ system do their job better you're improving functionality anyway instead Correct. of you know trying to improve yeah. just a specific function Correct. that they perform yeah so it has so, two key aspects yeah. the first is uh, the damage to that tissue is part of the person's pathology mm. so you're trying to restore the damage yeah. but the second is you're trying trying to enhance functionality mm. absolutely yeah. um yeah always made a lot of sense to me so, so we've um we've been talking about functional herbal therapy and the 12 core strategies has come up mm. um, a few times now. Could you maybe um, highlight a couple of these strategies or, you know, let us know a little yes, bit more? Yes, certainly. Yeah. Um, I, I think what I'll highlight is uh, our aspects that I think are perhaps unique to the strengths of herbs. So, so uh, one key one is, is uh, supporting optimizing and balancing immune function mm. uh, and of course you know my favorite herb <laughs> is echinacea root and i think that's just an absolute strength of herbal therapy and it can apply in so many aspects of of uh, any uh, disease mm. challenge that a patient has another key one is that we've discovered that there's a core cellular detoxification pathway called the NRF2 yeah. pathway. And herbs and phytonutrients appear to be unique mm. in enhancing and priming that pathway. Mm. So general detoxification, but particularly using those herbs that work on the NRF2 mm. ARE pathway, to me, is, is a very important development mm. in our understanding of medicinal plants 
and and something that's unique, I think, to functional herbal therapy. Um, uh, another aspect is uh, microcirculation, yes. which is the the, the 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 core strategy is circulation in general, but but microcirculatory and endothelial function, and again, yeah. that's becoming, if you like, a, a, a real therapeutic strength mm. of medicinal plants and and phytonutrients and then uh, perhaps the last one I'll refer to and and, and I'll make a uh, what I think is a very salient point here is the strategy of eliminating persistent pathogens mm. what's also causes stealth pathogens now uh, uh, Professor David Sinclair in his recent book on uh, you know healthy aging yeah. highlighted that as yet, we mm. don't have, you know, DNA, RNA tests that can take a person's body tissues mm. and assess across the board mm. which pathogens are active right. and, and causing problems. Mm. So we don't yet, he, he believes that we're close, mm. but we don't have that. So if we're saying to a patient, look, we believe your condition is being fed by the presence yeah. of pathogens, undetected, mm. unknown at this point, pathogens. Mm. And we want to do something about it. And that may seem a bit crazy and loopy, mm. especially to a more conservative listener. However, the evidence is there. And, and, and if we take, for mm. example, COVID, mm. uh, what, what's been shown with COVID is that you get the viral infection, yep. but it activates other viruses mm. in the body. That's been shown. Yeah. Um, we see a simple example of that when someone just gets a cold. Mm. They start off with, you know, the respiratory virus, but then they get a secondary bacterial infection. infection. So yeah. one pathogen leads to the activation mm. of others. So some may express symptomatically, but some may be doing their damage silently. Mm. So we don't know what those pathogens are. Mm. Our tests for finding them out are limited. You could do this whole raft of screening, yeah. but you can only, with current screening techniques, find what you're looking for. Exactly. And, yep. and are you going to give the patient 100 tests and find that the particular pathogens aren't encompassed mm. by those tests? No. Mm. So what we have to do is we have to apply it to a certain extent in a perhaps you could say speculative mm. manner. Um, one of my colleagues put it, I think, much better yeah. a, a, a when he said it's testing by treating. Mm. Now, if you're using antiviral drugs, yeah. antibiotics and what have you, Testing by treating yeah. is a really dangerous thing to do. Definitely. They're too powerful. They cause imbalances. They have side effects. But with herbs, mm. you can do it. Yeah, They're safe. Everything I have in my stealth pathogen protocols mm. is safe to apply mm. for the three months that generally I recommend yeah. that you do it. And you're not risking those side effects mm. doing a test by treating Mm. approach so again it's it's something that i think is enriching yeah. functional medicine and building on the str strengths and unique properties of mm. herbs it's it's um also <laughs> what the herbs are doing are targeting several kinds of pathogens that's right yes yeah. yeah. so they're, they're more broad based so mm. so for example hyperacin in st john's wort targets mm. envelope 
pathogens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always done, if you look at my protocols, it's generally always done with immune support. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, uh, to be honest, antimicrobial herbs, antiviral herbs, etc., they don't work unless you concurrently do immune support in my clinical experience yeah because like you said you know if you already have a viral infection you're predisposing your immune system is already fighting it therefore a secondary bacterial infection finds it really easy your immune system is already weakened your natural defenses your barrier defenses etc etc weakened so you are using immune support along with your correct Which reminds me, and one of the targets of functional herbal therapy is to enhance natural barriers. And mm. again, that's a unique thing that herbs can do. do. Yeah, yeah. And we have barriers everywhere. everywhere. And they're so important. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been wonderful. I think um, this concept of functional herbal therapy based on your years of experience and traditional um, knowledge, you know, is is really valuable for clinicians, whether they're starting off new or, you know, have been in practice for for a while. Um, And I I think everyone would love to know where they can find more information on these 12 core strategies and, um, you know, what we've talked about the complex interventions and well i'm smiling because obviously the (laughs) answers are there in my book yes and uh, i do encourage if you found the information in this podcast interesting inspiring and informative then i do suggest you buy my book and delve deeper into it and apply it to the benefit of your clinical practice and your patients. And the book is called Functional Herbal Therapy. Functional Herbal Therapy, (laughs) yes. Um, So I think um, it's definitely a valuable addition, as are all the books you have written so far, Kerry. Um, I know, you know, students and um, practitioners worldwide really have um, learned a lot from you and from your books and um, it's been really wonderful talking to you today about functional herbal therapy thank you so much for being on the MediHub podcast Uh, thanks Jaisal and it's been a pleasure talking to you for more educational resources please visit the Integria Practitioner Education Centre at practitioner.integria.com Please note that this podcast is for general information only and practitioner discretion must be utilised. It is not a replacement for seeking professional health advice, nor should it be taken as medical advice.